0: Hello, this is another episode of the podcast and I cordially, such an unprofessional intro, uh, start, chairs start creaking, anyway, I cordially welcome to the you to the podcast, it's um, a pleasure to have you indeed and I think um, I'm going to start off with the lady uh, that is pissing off everyone by the sound of it, um, the Duchess of Sussex is out and about again and of course, this is something that is given way too much attention and um, it's sort of like that, that person in your family who wants the attention and they know they're not going to get it by just being a good person or a person that someone cares about and as a result showers them with attention or just a person who contributes to the family who. Is, is is someone that you just want to be around but they don't do it that way they're like you know what um, I'm going to sort of rile up the situation and point fingers and kind of fuck up the family flow and as a result kind of throw suspicion into the wind and also kind of throw everyone on their uh, head by accusing them of being So and so and so and so being in this case racist or uh, being um, you know rejecting her into the family and uh, being from a different color and playing all the victim cards and she's great at doing that and she's just sort of leading the way for a generation of people who want to do that as a result and uh, you know if it's not if it's not if it's not the thing of being. A black or mixed race, then it's a thing of being a woman. If it's not a woman, it's a thing of being a single parent. All these various things. She's basically got her cards and all those cards nicely lined up, and she's kind of just dealing it out to the royal family. I'm not saying they're nice, or I don't even fucking know them, so who the hell am I to comment? But clearly, uh, just as families go, she wanted to fucking, uh, you know, she knows that she has, and her husband, by the way, let's not fucking talk about him. Yeah, the little, uh, little thing she's pulling by the nose or by the cock whichever you want to think a long life and just saying yeah yeah you uh, it's your family yeah i blame them for what you become and i you must blame them too and what a fucking snitch he is and uh let's use racism yeah that's a good one and let's fucking use everything that's th- and it's crazy that um i'm not saying there isn't a thing that people don't um of color aren't dealt a bad deal of course there are every day there are millions billions uh indians face it pakistanis face it depending on the country you're in and there is racism within um non-white countries as well so anyway fuck that's a different issue for a different day i'm not a sociologist fucking talk to them but with this particular situation and this silly shit is that she's just kind of annoying the fuck out of me because i mean when you can't as i said William and Kate fucking next in line and their kids are next in line. So this one knows that. She's like, how do I fucking mess it up? Uh, Rather, how do I draw the attention back to me and how do I make sure this useless husband of mine who I've convinced that um, needs to be, be, needs to put me up on a pedestal and be a spineless little shit who I can whip around. Now I don't really care about him because I've got him whipped and I don't really care about men who I can whip. I care about men who can stand up and believe in what they are, even if they tend to and choose to disagree with me. That's what makes relationships stronger. But no, we've got this little fucking shit who's got no spine. Who's like, yeah, my grandma hated me. My mom hated me. My, my mom mom. dad. Of course, there are situations which are make you feel like the victim. But then there are situations where you're put and you're encouraged to be the victim. And that's what she's doing. And he's like, yeah, your brother was a bigger brother than you. And he did more. Yeah, my daddy didn't love me. My brother doesn't love me. I'm going to renounce the throne. I'm going to renounce the title. And run to America where I'm going to use all the opportunities which this society is promoting right now to Play all my cards out there and see how wronged I was. And as a result, I was so blind by this upbringing that I really, really was sort of uh, ob- 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 oblivious to the fact that my wife was being treated so badly in this family. I'm going to leave the family, but I'm going to use what the family gave me to become more popular on other platforms. So my brother is not as popular, and I'm as unpopular. I'm. Gonna- it's just ridiculous what these fucking idiots are doing, and they're being they're being applauded by. Other fucking idiots like this. So it's just idiots uh, supporting other idiots, and it's crazy. When I listen to her podcast, and she's got something on Spotify, um, it's called Archetypes or something. It just, it just, she sounds so fucking preachy, dude. Like, isn't it right, guys? When I'm wronged, aren't you all wrong? You are not them, and they are not you. So first of all, don't act like everyone is as privileged as you. Now, fuck privilege. Everyone, you're not a fucking Normal person, a lady, you have a lot of shit going for you. So stop trying to get other people to fucking feel sympathy for you or even empathy because you ain't that wronged in life. Yeah, everyone's got shit thrown at them. Pull up your socks and fucking stop whining because you've got life pretty damn good. You've got a lot of things coming your way. So play to those fucking things rather than making people feel like you're the victim and pouring in with sympathy because, oh, my God, you're so fucking wronged. Jeez, it bothers me when people are encouraged to do what Meghan Markle's doing, because then they start, instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to fucking face life, take whatever challenges are thrown at me. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's uplifting. Sometimes it's demotivating. And sometimes it's just fucking hard. That's life. Instead of saying, I'm going to face it with what I've got, you're supposed to do what she's encouraging you to do, which is like, yeah, aren't we all wronged? Isn't it just so hard every situation? Fuck off. Yeah, made my peace. I think. Yeah, it'll come up in another episode. It keeps reemerging, and yeah, more than her, she's annoying as fuck. But he's just phew, even worse. And women like that claim that they want men like Harry or Prince Harry or whatever he's renounced his title, fucking Harry. And they think that, uh, and the men fall for it. Like they're like, yeah, I'm gonna applaud this. I'm I'm, I'm gonna say yes. Every I'm gonna be a yes to everything because you know the women are wrong, and I'm apologizing for being a man. And they think that's the way to get to. A relationship with a woman at least in the perceived idea of a modern 20 2022 woman and then women really quickly realize that fuck what if i married just a piece of air filling this body that's going to just sort of mold and fold around everything i say and do and then realize oh, that's what not what anyone wants in a partner man or woman and the guy then realizes that he's got no fucking dignity and self-respect left because he sold it all for the right hashtags and the right kind of approval ratings from the opposite sex and next thing he's got no dignity he's sitting at home just going what else can i agree with honey and she's like fuck off i'm gonna bang the trainer and that's where life ends in a beautiful pool of jizz yeah anyhow um before i go on and on and on and take away from today's conversation uh my guest in today's episode is mr bosco anthony bosco is a digital media expert who helps people Uh, companies, individuals um, create a very interesting space for themselves using the power of storytelling on, well, the digital space in the ether of the internet. In the world, that isn't a world, but it really is a world that drives our world. It's two worlds that are more than one. It's a multiverse. It's a metaverse. It's so many things. And he's there and he helps people create a space create a brand create an identity and create something that people can find them by recognize them by in a place and a face that can represent what they do best in the most well effective story and besides that we talk about what um sort of shaped his life and his decisions that have brought him to what he's doing from tanzania all the way to brisbane he's had an interesting childhood um, experiencing, um well as i said different cultures different kind of settings and how those cultural contexts actually give you a sense of who you are but at the same time give you a sense of not Taking things for granted and just assuming, and how to kind of go to a new place and fit into that environment as opposed to saying, Ah, the environment hates me. I'm just so always rejected. So, what can you do as an individual to cope with change, cope with also geographical relocation and also? even creating a space for yourself online is is something that involves resilience, involves sticking to your guns at points, agreeing and saying I'm wrong at other times and being someone who appreciates other people's opinions, but at the same time, doesn't just bend over and say, yeah, I'm always wrong or the other extreme where I'm always right. So these kind of Uh, values which you grow up with help you uh, in all sorts of change and Bosco and I talk about that on today's episode and we share our stories so I'm sure you might maybe most likely will uh, recognize a lot of the themes that we've discussed in today's episode so I'm excited for you to listen to it and as always appreciate you tuning into this podcast until next episode goodbye god bless take care of yourselves my friend cheers catch you on the other side Mr. Bosco Anthony, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me as well.
0: Lovely. So let's dig into um, disruptive storytelling. But before that, you know, you have sort of experienced perspectives from different cultures when it comes to either being born in Tanzania to living in British Columbia and now relocating to Australia. So just in that context, can you tell me how something as specific in your experience as social media uh how it's shaped up in these three maybe the word maybe not distinct but diverse cultural context how is social media influenced and also evolved over the past few years in your experience
1: yeah i mean look at i think the best way to look at it is from the lens of past present future right so in mm-hmm. tanzania um you you believed in storytelling in a very traditional aspect you know you you gathered around in the evenings and spent time with your loved ones and you got you got the news through storytelling you didn't really necessarily have the digital mediums i grew up i was born in 1982
0: mm-hmm. social
1: media wasn't really around at that point so living in tanzania up to when i was 18 um you know i think when i was leaving tanzania you had the dial up era of internet and you mm-hmm. you sort of started to get used to what the internet was and you know i still remember the beeping sounds that your dial up internet made when when you when you were using the internet, but of then someone pick you up the phone Canada, on the other
0: end and you'd cut the connection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. And then you know when you got to Canada, that's when the you know fiber optic incident options got better and mm. things started to you know progress a little bit more. But I spent most of my uh 20s and, and, and early 30s in Vancouver, Canada, and, and I think in my 30s and late 20s, that's when you know you, you went from you know, the high fives and the ICQs and the MySpaces into actual, you know, Facebook back then and mm. and Twitter and all the other platforms that started coming in. And I think at the time it was a novelty. It was a way of social life. And I think now in the last few years, especially at my time in Australia, uh, people have become a lot more selective in what what platform they're in, why they're there, what they're, you know, there's a purpose for it. Some people mm. will be on Twitter because that's how they consume their news, um, and some people have gotten off of it with recent events, you know, people yeah. um, on Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, TikTok, you know, they're part of that micro video storytelling era right now where things are consumed in 30 seconds or less because either our attention is that of a goldfish or we've just decided to, you know, take information in, in very small uh, frameworks. So yeah. I think I think the future of social right now is really, you know, it's it's going in the direction of personalization. Mm-hmm. Like everything else I think we're we're having issues with trust and privacy and what we choose to put out there and how we choose it, you know, recently we we just got in Australia got uh, hit by a cyber attack. Uh, you know, with one of our healthcare systems as well, where most of our records were were hacked. so okay. I think as we move to this new era, I think there's going to be a little bit more emphasis on focus on trust and privacy.
0: That's a very um interesting thing that it's almost come around, right where we wanted to be connected and also be recognized for who we are and you know that would be the creation of social profiles right where you would put your best fed, best step forward and you would kind of have these um descriptions and you know be it from you know snapchat where you'd have these filters to instagram stories where you would highlight your holidays or your workouts or your food or your diet and kind of to this place where you want to be more reserved and say you know what i do want to at the end of the day share so much about myself but
1: Yeah, I think it, you're right. I think, yeah. you know, don't get me wrong. There's still people that showcase their holidays and their favorite meals and still yeah. have the throwback Thursdays. But there's a lot of us now, and it could also be a genre thing, right? Because now we're at an age where you've got the Gen Zs, you've got the millennials, you've got the baby boomers, you've got the mm. future Gens as well. And everyone's looking at it in a different lens. And, and you know, different people are on it for different reasons, I think. But I think we're driven by a common alignment of what our purpose should be, or what, what should it look like. And yeah. and uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think what we've realized is that you know, it really just comes down to where we are in life mm-hmm. and how we view what our privacy should look like. And I think you know, <clears throat> people still worry about the personification of advertising, you know, you still hear people going, I was having a conversation about a Microsoft service, and now I have surface. And Mm. now I've got all these ads hitting me up, or, you Mm. know, I think you still you still having advertising ramping up, you know, there, I think I read a statistic that said advertising spend on social media and digital is going to be up to $800 billion by 2026. So I don't think people are getting off these platforms. I don't think advertising is is going to stop because it's, it's how things are being amplified today, especially post-COVID in the era now where more and more people are working from home. More and more people have identified that their purpose has evolved. Um, and I think because of all of these different environmental situations and, and global events, um, you're, you're going to see different types of Um, groups of people that that will have commonalities but also differences as well and we're seeing a lot of that right now in the market
0: yeah because you know when you mentioned the time sort of uh, the time frame when you were growing up in um, Tanzania and that is sort of similar uh, and not it's it's almost exact the same years I grew up in India like my formative years I'm 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 82 born as well so when you kind of hit the millennium um, you moved to Canada and and similarly three four years later I moved to the UK and then the US so the reason is I'm bringing up that particular sort of time frame and comparison is because it uh, for me specifically it had this impression of what the western world is like right when whether it's with popular culture references or with media I was exposed to or with a certain way of being or a certain way of viewing and maybe even being in awe of um, Europeans or North Americans, there was this sense of needing to fit in, right? Like trying to mm-hmm. adopt those practices or cultural context or speak in a certain way or uh, d- dress in a certain way or, ha- you know, party in a certain way. So how was your um, I wouldn't say cultural th- I, mean, I think, yeah, maybe cultural transition uh, from a you know one is from a kind of dial up internet t- tanzania to a broadband canada for lack of a better <laughs> uh, terminology to also maybe from your um your, your 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 you as a teenager or late teens early sort of adulthood into a canadian context at such a pivotal movement uh, a p- pivotal moment in um in you know in, in in that time because a lot of things just kicked off you know with the beginning of 2000 2001 we saw a lot of rap, you know rapid rapid uh, tech you know technological, uh adopt uh, adopting and a lot of all these new trends kicking in so how was that phase for you
1: yeah look it was a massive culture shock right i mean yeah. uh, you got to remember that <clears throat> tanzania even though it was you know dar es salaam the capital stands for the haven of peace and and mm. tanzania fairly internally was a was a peaceful country we were impacted by the surrounding countries and what was going on politically. We had two presidents that came to sign a a peace treaty, and on their way back, you know, their planes were shot down. And it started the genocides in Rwanda and Burundi. And Mm -hmm. uh, in 95, we had American embassy bombings, and we've had, you know, Tanzania was going through a lot of changes. There was a lot of different things that we witnessed at home as well. You know, we had our neighbor hanged, we had a bunch of, we saw violence at a very, very young age. And so we didn't realize that we sort of had some form of PTSD until we got to Canada because at that point, you know, we still had those recurring nightmares and dreams. So I think Mm. in Tanzania, our upbringing was a lot more sheltered in many ways. Our parents wanted to give us the best, but more importantly, also wanted to protect us to the point that Mm. they might have overprotected us, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I think when you come to Canada... And you start to see the the liberal culture, and you start to see different things. It's 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 a different narrative. It's a different blend. You're going from a Western, uh, sorry, from an Eastern sort of outlet to a Western culture. So yeah, yeah it was definitely a culture shock. Um, it didn't really help that both the kids, you know, my sister and I were both you know teenagers at that point, and we wanted to sort of live and see life our own way, and we had. You know, uh, we were exposed to a lot of different things as well. That obviously kept our parents up at night, and you know, obviously uh, <laughs> yeah. allows our parents to worry a little bit. Um, you know, and then obviously you're at that age where you're in the nightclubs, you're at the bars, you're you're hanging out with people, and culturally, those are different things that you you were brought up with living in Tanzania under your parents' roof. So yeah, yeah it was a it was a bit of a culture shock. But I think you know, I think for the most part, we were lucky that you know, we made right decisions, we hung out with the right people in the end. And uh, I think, um, you know, kindness and, and a good upbringing really got us through that era of understanding who we are and finding our own identity over time. Um, mm. And obviously, when I moved to Australia as well, I think having immigrated to Canada, that really helped me because it gave me it gave me a playbook of an immigrant playbook, if that makes any sense. You know, yeah. most immigrants come yeah. to a country, they want to get a house, they want to have a decent career. They want to look after their, their families, et cetera. So I think a lot of the lessons that I I made and learned from Canada was able for me to accelerate that experience coming to Australia. Now, I think the internet in Canada is a lot faster than most Australians are willing to admit here. But uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, I think there's you know things that you love about a new place and there's things that you miss about what what home is, right? And for me... Yeah. I think there's always going to be elements of home uh, through the people, the milestones, the food, the experiences, and the culture in Tanzania. Mm. Uh, but then you start to make your own new memories as you start to evolve as well. I think as technology has changed, as the environment has changed, as you know, I, I would say the wars have changed as well from Africa to what's happening right now globally. Yeah. Um, there are certain things that we're still connected to. We're connected to the emotion of human sentiment, we're connected to storytelling, regardless of Mm. what medium that story is being consumed on, whether it's your phone, your laptop, a TV screen, or you're sitting by a fireplace with your family and loved ones. Mm. The art of human connection through storytelling is still been an identity for us all. And it's still Mm. something that we can find commonalities and relations to even if they're people that you connect with are in different parts of the world.
0: You know, that's a very interesting uh thing which is uh something i you know i noticed when especially uh you know i have family indians who've migrated to the u.s many many years ago uh now their kids are you know first and second generation grandkids uh americans and so when say my uncles, uncles and aunts left in the 1970s to the u.s um they kind of had this uh obviously you know there's this they have India which they left behind, but they also had this India which they froze in time for themselves, you know, where it was a certain way to be Indian, whether it was uh, taking that particular context of Indianness to the US. So maybe they brought their kids up watching Bollywood movies or listening to bhajans or whatever it may be, right? That, that was their interpretation of what it meant to be Indian. And then I meet these cousins or meet these friends who are sort of contemporaries, and they end up being seeming more Indian than me, because I grew up in an India, of course, 1980s, India, 1990s wasn't as sort of globalized in that way, the markets weren't as open. But then, you know, the references, I would watch, um, you know, movies from across the world, or I would listen to, you know, rock, or I would listen to death metal, whatever. So in some sense, I was kind of reaching out more to the world while they were reaching out more back to India. So in context of storytelling, I find that fascinating that um, there is this thing when you leave a certain place, you kind of hold on tighter to what it meant to be in that place. Um, I, think, and as a, I think
1: so. I think so. Right? I think you're right. I think we're driven and connected to nostalgia, right? I mean, mm. look, I, I'm a, you know lover of old movies i love watching john wayne flicks i love watching Mm -hmm. war movies and western flicks because i you know that was a thing that my mom and dad and i did on the weekends. we'd sit down and watch these old movies or clint eastwood movies Mm -hmm. and you know when i moved to australia i was locked out because technically you know i moved here december 2019 and the world went into an apocalypse by february where (laughs) travel and the borders were shut down and
0: especially in australia yeah
1: especially in australia we had some strict rules so I got through my weekends uh, watching a lot of old movies. And so <clears throat> I was connected to nostalgia. I was I was driven by nostalgia. Um, and it's one of those things where when I was homesick, my mm. biggest way of feeling at home was reliving those memories, whether it was learning a recipe that my mom and dad made mm. and made it make some something for myself or watching something that I've seen maybe a hundred times, but bringing back those childhood memories. That was how I coped through you know, a time when we were in isolation and couldn't do much. Mm. But, you know, I've also had some perspective, because um, I've gone, I recently went back to Vancouver to see my folks and my sister, my nephew hadn't been home in over three years, close to three years. And they used to be this little beach, that private little beach that I used to live by in North Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And I spent a week in North Van, and I was like, Oh, I'm gonna go hiking. And then I'm I'm going to go to this private beach that was literally right next to where I lived. And I was really excited. I was psyched up. And I got to this beach after this hike. I was so happy to be there. And I was sitting there for five minutes. And within 30 seconds, I heard all this noise. And I turned around. And this beach was now having all these construction sites and these towers that were coming up. And you got to remember, I'd lived in this neighborhood for 12 years. it was quiet, you know the land was bought but there was no construction. so I used to go to this private beach and, and enjoy the serenity of escape. and it was then when I it hit me and I realized that time doesn't wait for anyone you mm-hmm. know and that was a, a a perspective that was fairly morbid and sad for me because I realized very quickly that I was holding on to this memory of this beach. And I was mm-hmm. holding on to something that you know for me was my 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 young youth or my childhood. And when I finally got to relive that, all wasn't what it was, you know, and it wasn't the same feeling or or it wasn't the same feeling of nostalgia. It was actual sadness because you realize how quickly the world is moving. You realize how quickly the world is growing. And you realize that, you know, as time goes on, time doesn't wait for anyone. And uh, we take time for granted, you know, and and so I think for anyone out there, that, that does live those moments or is looking for those moments, my best advice is don't, don't live for milestones. Don't say to yourself, if this happens, then I'll do this. If this happens, then I'll go back to my childhood. If this happens, then I'll achieve this. Because if that happens or doesn't happen, time doesn't wait for you. You know, And I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned about life is uh, we hold on to things in our hearts and in our memories. And uh, sometimes... That's all it is. It's it's only there in your heart and in your memories.
0: That's very true because you kind of get bogged down by that, um, by, by trying to recreate that, right? Like, for instance, when I think back of the little college town I studied in, I have such lovely um, memories, but at the same time, that same memory, uh, or rather the same at the same moment you could have guilty feelings about how you behaved and those things can either you know propel you forward with this recreation because you want to go back and and that's in some ways that's what reunions do right you have this thing where you go back to a school reunion and you have this expectation that everyone you studied with is the same person but obviously not so when you go with those expectations um and, and there's something there which is very interesting because it's the human experience as you said is you and, and it's great. I think each person deals with it with it their own way. But when you have this thing, especially, say, when it's um, beyond an individual and happens to a group of people um, to preserve a certain way of what they perceive that their identity was or how their ancestors or their culture was represented, uh, I'm saying historically, it, it it's kind of manifesting now with this whole thing of people... Uh, closing borders, becoming more about national pride, national identity. This is what it means to be Indian, or this is what it means to be Russian. Um, that's when the problem arises, right? Because there is this, uh, there is this thing that opens up where uh, there's a lot of scope for manipulation, saying this is it, where other people tell you what they think you should uh, do to represent your nation or your culture or your society best, right?
1: Yeah. And look, I mean, <clears throat> there's two parts of that conversation. You're absolutely right. I think people try to recreate that that feeling and emotion. And even for me, there's some friends that I can, you know, catch up with or pick up where I left off one and, mm. and everything is the same. And then there's some people you have a coffee with and you realize how you connect with them as a young kid isn't how you can connect with them now because life has happened or their priorities have changed or they themselves have a different identity as well. Yeah. But look, we're connected by our origin stories, I feel. Um, but we're also living in a time right now where I don't classify myself an African, a Canadian, or an Australian. I I consider myself a global citizen, you know? And so I'm fused by modern day culture that has different backgrounds. You know, my mom has Irish roots and Indian Mm. roots. My dad has Portuguese roots. Mm. I was born in Tanzania. I moved to Canada. So I can't really classify myself as, you know, country specific.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm driven by different countries for different reasons. And I think that, you know, the more modernization that happens, the more globalization that happens, the more integration of society and, you know, different types of people come together in relationships and procreate and all everything else. Yeah, we're going to live in countries that don't really have an identity because it's being a blended identity moving forward. Yeah. And for some people that, you know, in some countries, they're embracing that. And for mm-hmm. others, they they need to get adjusted to that sort of sentiment, right? If you if you look at um, cultures, in in general, if you think about the Indian culture, they have always been movers. You know, you find traces of them in India, in Tanzania, in East Africa, in Canada, you know, they've immigrated in different parts of the world. If you think about the Smiley community, you know, that I grew up very close to, one of my best friends is a Smiley, you know, they were kicked out of Uganda and they ended Mm -hmm. up finding homes in in Canada. And now they're some of the most successful entrepreneurs in that part of the world, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, You have refugees in Africa that would move to Australia because they've had to, you know, I think- You know, I think circumstances have dictated culture. Circumstances and global events have dictated the movement of culture. And more importantly, that that movement has created an impact. Um, and I think that, you know, we're going to start to see a lot more normalcy of the different types of cultures. We're going to start to see a lot more acceptance of p- people moving and, and starting a new life for themselves. Um, you know, even Australia back in the day, you know, Love it or hated, people. People were concerned about Australia back in the day because you know they they felt that there was certain attitudes towards you know people from India or people of Indian descent moving to Australia because you know perhaps they were looked at differently. Now some of the most entrepreneurial people in Australia come from an Indian background or come from an Indian culture. You know, so I think yeah. at the end of the day, I think we're living in a world right now where. Um, we, we're driven by choices that we make. You know, we have a choice to be kind. We have a choice to accept people. We have a choice to be curious about people. We have a choice to welcome people. Um, and it's less about stigma and it's more about human choices, individual choices. And I think, I think kindness being a currency moving forward is going to be an important way of how we live life.
0: Or the choice to be encouraging. Kind. Yeah, and that's an encouraging aspect of uh, to, to hope for, right? Because. Um, you know what concerns me when I look at these situations is the um, flip side to that, which is the intolerance and also almost like the death throes of these um, certain groups that are resisting the acceptance of these multicultural global uh, kind of um, individuals, right? Who want to say, um, you know what? I don't really associate. Like, I mean, I, I'm very similar in that way when it comes to, yeah, I have, I'm. I'm from Bangalore, India. I was born here. I am Indian in that way. But I don't, you know, I, it's, it's not like I have to do 10 things to prove that I'm Indian. It's in a sense I'm hap- as happy going and living in Dublin or going and living in Cape Town. And, you know, I might hang out with Indians there or I might not. I might hang out with, I, it's, it's the idea which drives you beyond just the traits that you display, I feel. And that's, I think, what you've said, which is sort of resonates with me because, it's so amazing with social media; you can transcend boundaries, right? You can, you can, like how we earlier had pen friends, where you write a letter to someone you didn't know in, across the globe. Now you can do that instantly with, you know, instant messenger or make yes. friends or chat. How we are chatting over this thing—it's it's fantastic. You don't need a visa to go to meet each other. You're, but the flip side to that is that it's creating resistance from a group of people who are who don't want this to happen. And like, for instance, I want to ask you um, when you. Uh, with this perspective you have which is traveling moving to canada finding that uh set of things that helped you kind of imbibe the culture and also also kind of live in there and then moving to australia and then you you're hit by this lockdown and especially a strict one when it comes to australia what did it do to your uh for a person like you who's traveled a lot who loves traveling who's also so global in his perspective what was that treatment of individuals during the lockdown by the Australian government? What did that feel like for you?
1: Look, I mean, immigrating to a country is hard in any culture. doesn't make a yeah. difference which culture you come from. But immigrating to a, to a country during during a time when you have lockdowns mm. is even harder, right? Yeah. Your mental psyche. At that point, it's not even the flag that you have or the passport that you have. Yeah. Anybody, regardless of which country you're in, whether you're an actor, a rich person, a person that's trying to make it in life, um you you're all going through those moments of isolation sadness depression anxiety not knowing for me my biggest challenge was not knowing when I could go back to see my folks you know and, yeah. and you know I knew that I knew that someday I could potentially travel I just didn't know when and my parents are at that age now where they're not in their you know 40s or 50s they they're older so for yeah. me my biggest concern and worry was more about you know, mom and dad and making sure that they were okay during this period or time. I think for me, my biggest mental struggle was mostly about the fact that I didn't know when I could travel again. And so for me, that was a hard one for sure. And I'll admit that um, for me, that was, you know, something that that the unknown, the fear of the unknown really messed with my psyche. Mm. Having said that, I've come from a lot of adversity a lot of um challenges and I've been I've learned to be resilient from a very young age you know my parents and my upbringing was you're not a victim uh, and no matter what situation happens things happen for you they're not happening to you that was mm. sort of a very um early learning living in Africa as well you know my sister was in the American embassy a few days before it blew up you know we Ouch. passed it before it blew up on our way to school um, so for us, you know, we've always felt like we were the lucky ones, moving to other countries and experiencing other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, how I combated with people that had a difference of opinion was really knowledge, you know, because you're not you're not fighting racism, you're not fi- fighting, you know, someone's version of you isn't your reality. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Is 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 a, how I've learned how to deal with life. And so for me, I would say that having a non-victim mindset and saying to myself, that's their version of their reality, it's not your reality, mm. is allowed, allowed me to navigate through a lot of things in life as well. Um, but the only person that has permission to to really look at yourself and really tell you what you, you are and what your strengths and areas of opportunities are as yourself, it's mm. not even your parents, it's who you are as a person, and so <clears throat> when you fight you know when you fight with knowledge, you sort of silence the critics very quickly and and you have the power to absorb someone's criticism of you or you have the power to deflect it. I think that's for me something that I learned at a very young age you know I was um, I, I was one of those people that moved to Canada just after 911 you know a few years after 9/11 and I incurred a lot of, stereotypes because of that i yeah. travel quite a bit to the u.s i you know saw things there as well and i remember you know this one time <clears throat> there was a man who was very angry and i was about to jump on a ferry and he said to me oh you know people of your kind you come here and you take our jobs and you take our people and you do these things and why don't you go back to where you came from and i remember i, I pull, pulled up my hair pods and i said to him i said where do you think i'm from mm. and he had no answer he just walked away right mm. and and so for me you know it's interesting because i don't let those things affect me i I think Mm. you know i'm driven by a different purpose in life and Mm. i'm fortunate to have discovered my purpose in life i even did a ted talk about how to find your purpose in life yeah and so i think i think if you can accept that people are going to have impressions or, or or perceptions of who you are and that's okay and that's not your reality and as long as you can look at yourself and accept who you are then really it's about navigating through these hurdles in life but mm. i think it's also about not feeling like you're a victim
0: that's very important to understand you know and i and this is something which what you what you've spoken about a couple of themes uh, things that have come up uh, in these themes is resilience and not playing the victim card right and that's something which seems to be uh, the opposite which is playing out on social media but before we get to that and I want to talk about the whole idea of purpose because I think that's really important but I want to quickly just go over the sense of you know I, I've, I, I, I'm I not like a travel bug like in the sense I don't uh, you know yearn to go backpacking kind of thing but having said that you know I remember when I was in college uh, living in university I didn't really use a cane to walk around because I'm visually impaired but uh, I I used to kind of manage, right? I used to go through airports and make a fool of myself at times, going up an escalator that was coming down, and it's 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 the motions of life, you know, kind of yeah. a teenager, a young adult who's like, you know what? I'm going to ignore the fact that I'm disabled and I'm not going to show because the ladies don't like to see a guy with a cane is what if I thought. If it's any right?
1: consolation, even people who are who are not visually impaired end up yeah. doing the escalator the wrong direction. But usually that's because of the influence of alcohol for right. all different reasons.
0: I, I mean if, if it's any consolation again is that I was under the influence and I couldn't see. So <laughs> it's a double fair whammy. Fair <laughs> so fair the strange thing is, you know, when you are going through those um acts of traveling or living in a different country, there is a little bit of anxiety and there's a little bit of you know, you're reserved, you're, you're kind of on edge, and you also miss your family. And it does something to you. And I, I, I don't know what I can't put a term to it or a concept to it. But one thing which is very uh, important, what travel does for me is that it gives you context. And it reminds you of how small and insignificant you are in the larger scheme of the world. Because when you say live down, uh, or sort of settle down in one place for too long, or you're locked down in one place for too long, your worries and your surroundings tend to magnify and sort of amplify your worries. And sometimes those worries are petty, right? Whether it's like, oh, you know, uh, my neighbor plays the music too loudly, or uh, something like that, or um, the, the 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 person down the street, uh, they, they seem to have a, you know, they seem to have a grudge against me. So all those small things which you typically would, would say, you know what, it's fine, I'm just going to, as you said, use knowledge and say, this person is coming from their context, that doesn't mean it's my reality. But as you spend more time, and this is something uh, I'm drawing back to the lockdown, uh, because I've noticed that about myself is, when I travel, I tend to let go and end up saying you know what let's just move on let's let go of these things because it's a bigger world out there but when you are kind of in one place for too long the smaller things tend to amplify in magnitude and in and, and concern uh in in the scale of priority of concerns for you right have you experienced that at all in
1: oh 100 look i i i finally got to travel this year and mm. when i first started traveling for work <clears throat> i remember flying into sydney and watching the opera house and it was seven or eight years ago that i first been to Sydney. Mm-hmm. And I remember going, Oh, I feel so grateful that I get to travel again. And, yeah. you know, four flights into Sydney. Now I'm, I'm like, I'm there for work, you know, and and ah. Sydney still, you know, you still love certain things about it, but you go, okay, you know, it's now part of the routines. The same mm-hmm. thing with flying to Melbourne after a few times, going to the same place or coming back to Brisbane. Um, <clears throat> I think as humans, the grass is always greener on the other side. We're always yearning for things. We always want things, Um, We're always striving to get somewhere. We're always trying to get somewhere. And sometimes we just need to sit back, exhale and go, just soak it in, you know? And I think Mm. that's the problem that we have right now with social media and this digital noise Mm. is there's so much around us that we forget to just be in the moment. Mm. Um, I am fortunate to have two British Bulldogs Mm. who teach me a lot about presence. You know, I Mm. work a lot. And they demand, you know, attention. They demand times to take them for a walk, um, and they break my cycle of chaos mm. to try to be at one with them. And uh, you know, I think that's a very important notion: is that you know, yes, we sometimes, uh, you know, have tunnel vision. We create tunnel vision because of the way we live in society, or or the routine of habits and the the lack of exposure to other societies and cultures. Um, But when I travel, I've been a young traveler, I've been traveling for a very long time. um, And I've been in many places, because I've spoken in different parts of the world. I try to absorb myself in the culture, whether it's going somewhere, sightseeing, trying to eat a local food, hanging Mm. out with people that might be from that place. um, Because you tend to get a better their perspective and appreciation of life. Yeah. You have to understand in a lens of how other people live life in other cultures, you know, there's a book about, I think they call it the blue zones of happiness. And it was a a research, a survey about where some of the happiest people lived in the world. And mm. funny enough, North America didn't really make it up the list because mm. the Western way of living was, you know, the rat race. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, you'd find some of these happy people that lived in the most, you know, impoverished places in the world, or places where they didn't have to worry about retirement, they just lived for today. And I think, I think COVID was a great example and a reminder to us as human beings that we are not as invincible as we we think we are. Where where we are this little drop in the ocean, and there's a big world out there. But more importantly, it taught us that that playbook, that rule book, that expectation, that society playbook that you're given all of that went out the window when a pandemic hit where everything that we considered the norm was chucked out the window, you know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. we had to be embracing that loneliness, that solitude, that time with ourselves. And some people did really well with it and some people didn't, right? So I think, um, I think for us, that's a constant reminder that we're not as powerful as we think the human race is.
0: And that story which was sold to a lot of people and a lot of people around the world and you mentioned America and I just want to talk about that for a moment is when the American way of life which is bring work, bring work home do these calls late at night it's hustle 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 and when that story proved to be a bit of a lie I think a lot of people as you said couldn't cope with it why a lot of people said you know what I'm going to move to another story and tell my own version of it and yeah. something which captures um the American, so-called American dream. Of course, it's, I've been there, have some friends there. There are a lot of good things about it, but the things that are captured and adopted by say a country like India now, it's some of the unhealthy things that the American way of life, especially American way of work, is not really conducive to a uh, more sustainable and more balanced way of life. But I was talking to a friend in uh, the US and I said, how's work going? And something he said, I, I said, he said, I'm very worried about the pandemic. I'm worried if I lose my job. I said, what will happen? And it wasn't that I'm not going to have somewhere to go every day or it's my income. His thing was, I'm not going to have insurance, health insurance. And that's such a st- statement that says, if you aren't a productive member of society earning a salary with a job, you aren't you aren't going to have access to health. And that's yeah. such a big thing, right? Like, it's such a thing that you're only as worthy as the contribution you make to your job. Otherwise, you're not worth taking care of.
1: And that's changing too, right? I mean, Mm. um, you know, I'm starting to do research for my next TED Talk. My first TED Talk was about how to live life with purpose. And now I'm doing research on the future of work on a human equity scale. And it's interesting because the research that I've done so far has taught me or showed me that the person that invented the eight-hour workday the American mm. nine to five workday,
0: yeah,
1: uh, that concept came from the from the era of the industrial era, you know, yeah. during that industrial revolution. So, someone in the eighteen hundreds decided that we <laughs> as humans should work five days a week, nine to five or eight to four, or ten hours a week, or ten hours a day, yeah. for forty hours a week. Um, and that notion has now stayed with us for over what two, three hundred years. So similar to the education it, system right yeah 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 and if you think about it you know covid has created a revolution people don't want to commute to work people can you know in Australia in, in Canada and the U.S there's talent shortages there's labor shortages and and you know, it's taken a global pandemic for people to go enough's enough. We don't want to spend an hour commuting to work and an hour going back home. We don't want to spend two hours doing that. We can do our job in five hours. Here's yeah. the question: Why do we have sixty hour, uh, sixty minute meetings? Most yeah. meetings should be fifty minutes, yeah. but most of the time we are we're driven by this DNA that we have to make our day fit in eight hours, and it validates who we are as an existence. But there's so many people that can work for three or four hours, the most average human is productive for five hours, and they can get most of their job done. I mean, obviously, some jobs don't require, you know, require you to work an eight hour day, but most jobs, don't require you to work an eight hour day. Some yeah. people want four days of work and have a longer weekend. Some people don't want to spend two hours in the commute cycle, you know, and that's what yeah. the future of work is going to look like. The power isn't in employers anymore. You have all these yeah. government offices and private offices that have offices in the city and they don't know what to do with themselves because now nobody in their staff wants to go back to a Monday to Friday job, you know, in the and city. And to add they, to that,
0: they, um, sorry, just to, sorry yeah. for interrupting, but just to yeah. add to that, there's another thing of, you're seen as more uh, hardworking if you're at work longer, which is not yeah. the case, right? There's another no. social context that like people are like. Wow, yeah. he works so hard. He's from work from six in the morning to ten in the night. What he's doing there, no one asks. But
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've glamorized yeah. this. Yeah. I'm so busy, and you know, you know, oh yeah, I'm good, but really busy.
0: Yeah. Busy
1: is not a badge of validation anymore. It shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, it should. You know, be. this yeah. is the problem. When 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 you you know, in my first TED talk there was a default statement that so many people laughed at when I said, oh, yeah, we say to people, I'm fine, you know, and, and, and I gave a meaning of what the word fine means, which was very colorful. But my point is, is that that was that slogan back then. But today, if you're saying you're busy, you know, I travel. I've, I've probably been on nine trips, and I've got three more to go this year. Uh, but I have to catch myself sometimes because I end up going, oh, yeah, I've been busy. I've just been traveling a bit, you know. I've got to go, hang on a minute. That's not a badge that you want to wear. That's just what you do for work, right? Yeah. Um, And I think we have to change some of this default ways of living and working. And we're already seeing it. I think there's a revolution where people are starting to say to ourselves, you know, we aren't going to settle for the norm. You know, I went back to Vancouver and I went to my local burger joint that has been there for 23 years. And I love mm. the Jamaican wings. I'm a person that loves my spices. So I'm having yeah. my chicken wings and talking to the owner. And I go, how's business? And he's like, oh, man, we can't find staff. And I go, what's going on? And they go, mm. well, no one wants to live here because they can't afford to live here. So why would the staff choose to come and work at a minimum wage job mm. at a restaurant when they can't even afford to live here? And It'll take them an hour to commute to this restaurant yeah. to work, right? That's what we're going through right now. And it's one of the things about globalization. You know, I, I was in Vancouver and so many people my age in their 30s and 40s are priced out of affording a mortgage in some parts of these worlds, specifically exactly. places that have had the Olympics, right? Yeah. So I think because of circumstances, because of what's happening with work and scheduling and mental wellness and real estate and society's pressures you're going to see a new breed of generations. You're going to see people that are going to have side hustles. You're going to see people that are going to have multiple jobs and work less hours at a job. You're going to see people that want to work from home and maybe come into the city once a week. You're going to see people that, you know, might move further out because they can't afford to live in their cities. And so I think as employers and as leaders of today, we have to have empathy. We have to have empathy for the people that we work with. We have to have empathy for their needs. And we have to change the questions because right now we're living in an age where those questions need to change.
0: Yeah, I think that's important for people to break out of this idea that if I'm seen in a certain way, it means I'm a certain kind of person. You know, it's very uh, nice that that seen as busy thing is what a lot of us uh thrived for right or even you know sometimes people are like what do you do now i'm like i record up my i do my podcast and i do an occasional show here and there they're like oh are you busy with it i'm like i feel hesitant to say that i work three hours four hours a week you know because that's yeah i enjoy it because it gives yeah. me so much time to, to to read to spend time on things i like but i'll give you uh, a little example of um this this thing about seen as busy right uh, so just after the entire the chunk the big chunk of the lockdown in 21 that was last year uh my wife and i we went to goa which is this beach town and a lot of people who are from these cities which which you just mentioned these people who are like i'm done with a uh, nine to five monday to friday and typically tech jobs right so these guys uh we went to a shack and We were surrounded by people who had these formal shirts on and board shorts on, right? And they were on their laptops. And what I found, okay, I found that fascinating in the sense that, wow, we can do this. We're sitting with a view of the ocean with a beer maybe or a mocktail or whatever and the ability to kind of contribute to your company or to your startup or whatever it may be. But what I found a little annoying is that lot of the people i mean wouldn't say all i wouldn't say even a lot i'd say quite a few of the people there were they wanted to be seen in that in that light as oh i'm the techie on the beach and they had like their music playing loudly without headphones, or if they were on a Skype call or whatever call it was without headphones. So it is more about being seen in a certain way. They weren't really getting work done. So in my head, I was like, you can as easily sit at home, work for two hours, get your calls done, come and enjoy the beach. But they wanted to be seen as chilling on the beach yeah. working. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah, that, and that's
1: because yeah. that's because social media has, unfortunately, that's the negative side of social media, mm. right? so, so, people that's an influencer image right it's it's a persona that people chase after you know for the for people that you know they go oh i'm a digital nomad or i'm an influencer Mm. and you know they they're too busy living their life through the lens of their cell phones right and i think there's a lot of us that were sucked into that for a while but then we kind of stopped and said hang on a minute this isn't who i am becoming or you know, I think we gauge life not by where we're going but who we're becoming. And I feel like over time our identity evolves, right? So even and maybe it's just old age, you know, I'm turning 40 this year, so my perspective yeah, on <laughs> yeah, my perspective on what um, what digital influences impact me are very different from what they were, you know, 5 or 4 or 7 or 3 years ago. But a lot of people unfortunately have this glamorous lifestyle of what it should be. Uh, And it's not that, you know, Uh, people think, oh, you travel, so you must have a really great life. What people don't know is that you have to wake up really early sometimes to catch a flight. They don't make a flight for tall people like myself. (laughs) Um, I still get harassed sometimes when I'm traveling. My my Mm. luggage is constantly being moved around. Now I carry, I try to take as much carry-on luggage as I can. You got flight delays, you got... COVID, hotel, you food. Flus, colds, yeah. theft, you know, like the, the the thing that people think that jet set lifestyle is, isn't that, you know, yeah. it's, it's maybe 10% of that. And 90% is you trying to get somewhere safely. If that makes and sense. And stressing about is, it.
0: Yeah. Finding the right yeah. cab, finding the right yeah, connection. Yeah. Finding the yeah. right Uber ride or
1: cab. Or Having a bad stomach safe. because of some food you ate yeah, at a bad hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. 12 trips for me this year, I've been living in a suitcase, you know, mm. <laughs> and uh, there's only so much of that you can do. I, I miss a home-cooked meal. I was on the Gold Coast. And one of my friends is like, hey, let me invite you over for a home-cooked meal. And I was very happy because, yeah. I, you know, he's like, are you sure you don't want to do a restaurant? I'm like, no, man, I'm, I'd be happy with a home-cooked meal yeah, because yeah. I've been eating at restaurants all all year round. So, and it gets tiring. I think, even gets sleeping tiring. out of it hotel beds, you know, it
0: feels really good to be at a five-star, but after like the fourth trip, you're like, oh, yeah. it feels, the air feels plastic. Yeah. It, you know? Yeah. yeah.
1: And I catch myself going, you know, try not to, to, um, try not to judge yourself on either side because you got to remember that 2 years ago you didn't have the opportunity to travel and you were craving it you know 2 yeah, years yeah, ago yeah. you wanted to go back home but after 5 weeks of being home you're like I'm ready to leave right it's that human dna that we're never nothing is ever good enough it's always better on the other side and unfortunately that carries on with our expectations of how we live our job and how we live our work yeah. i i am one of those people that can work anywhere in the world i am one of those people that will you know have my breakfast and and check my my emails but yeah. I will pick a head, headphone when I'm taking a call out of common courtesy I will try to find a quiet area to take a call out of common courtesy because I realize that not everyone is in that same boat as myself right mm-hmm. but I think it's mm-hmm. about perspective yeah and also not being so self-centered the problem the biggest impact about social media is it's created millions of people that can be self-centered or really not aware of the environment or the people around them. And it's unfortunate downside of digital storytelling is that it's creating false narratives for people and they buy into these false narratives um, when that is not what that life is supposed to be.
0: And that's the biggest thing that annoyed me. I'm like, there are people like us who are on holiday and we don't want to hear about how your last quarter was, or how much a uh, bonus—you know what I mean? But yeah. um, I think that's an interesting place to take this. Uh, this idea of storytelling is so powerful, and it's so lovely. Especially when I look around, when I hear. Sometimes I just sit, a, you know, in a crowded place, or the, say some place, maybe an airport or somewhere, or even at that shack, and I just listen, and maybe it's sometimes even. Uh, construed as eavesdropping, may, may as well. And yeah, or with, people I mean, it's hum- watching. Yeah, exactly. And I listen and I, because I, I have better hearing than most, I can kind of capture sometimes conversations that my wife knows when it's that look in my face. She's like, you've got that look in your face, stop listening to them. I'm like, but it's just interesting. You know, my head kind of yeah. tilts and I'm just like, ah, like a dog that's heard a whistle, you know? And yeah. what happens um, as, as a result is that these stories are just um, th- these kind of instances show you how unique uh, a, a, a story each person has if they actually look within and find their own story. But I want you to just talk about how social media, because that's a place where you spend a lot of your expertise and help people shape stories or rather express their stories in, in, in more compelling ways. Um, has it, you know, because we've kind of covered the influencer space, all these things, um, has social media allowed people... To express their true story, or has it told people to conform to a certain narrative and uh, aspire to live someone else's story?
1: It's a really good question. I think it has a ble- the best answer is it has a bit of everything and and okay. a bit of both. If that makes right. any sense. So I think uh, I don't think when social media came out, there was a playbook on how to use it. It mm. was sort of that new novelty that everybody basically got into it's kind of like when we went from the typewriter days to when the first computer game you know solitaire and wolfenstein Mm. 3d and you know super mario and nintendo days when we first got it some people abused it some people did some innovative things with it you're going to have human innovation and curiosity motivates people on so many different levels yeah so because we had These technological advancements that are still happening today, you're going to have people making choices. You know, going back to that conversation about choices, you're going to have people that are going to make good choices, bad choices, and and great choices. You know what I mean? And and then others are just questionable because you're like, yeah, I didn't see that coming. But that's a whole different Kanye West conversation, maybe for a different podcast. But, um, you know, when you think about it, right, we have all these different types of choices that are driven by good, bad choices that we make. And I think with social media, when it first came out, we were all trying to fit in and keeping up with the Joneses and trying to keep up with things. And you still have people that are still trying to do that to conform to society. But you're also seeing a new generation of people that are going to be selective on what they put out there. They're going to be, you know, we've gone through people call Zoom fatigue. We've also gone Mm. through digital fatigue. You know, I, I think for me this year, the highlight of this year for me was in the 12 trips that I have been around the world or nine and going on 12, yeah. I've got to meet people that I've connected with digitally and now I've got to meet them in person. Oh, nice. And those those connections were amazing, were so yeah. powerful. I got to go home and see the folks and have some home-cooked meals. And, yeah. you know, you stop taking pictures because those experiences were the selfies that you wanted to experience. They weren't the mm. digital selfies, if that makes any sense. So the, dig- so the digital
0: imprint has been reaffirmed by the physical interaction. Cor- right?
1: Correct, correct. Nice. And I think that... I think we've come full circle where it really our emotional intelligence if we allow ourselves to be emotionally intelligent we go hey put down the phone and connect with that person take the time to actually you know em- embrace those things so I think I think the intellectual ability to know that we have to make the right choices has has is now stronger than it's ever been because yeah. we've been through that fatigue, because we have a little bit more empathy, and and that does, does that's not for everybody. Because everyone's yeah. going through life in a different uh, pathway. I think I think yeah. you know life is a is a collision of different matters coming together or moving away. You know sometimes we're two ships sailing side by side, but we're in different directions, right? And so there's no right or wrong. I think I think there's just choices that we make. And those choices then allow us to either have some form of satisfaction, short term, long term, or just for the for the now, you know, and uh, I've had a lot of really good choices this year, someone said to me, you know, highlight your year, I would say this year, for me was about really the right choices. Mm. Um, And I think that really reflected in those moments, when I got to experience things, um, experience the nostalgia that I still preserved inside of me in those moments, you know, and um, the best part for me being a traveler was seeing people that I haven't seen in person, but I've connected with digitally for two, three years, right? So, um, you know, there was a lot of really good things that came out of it. So I think we're ambassadors of choices and change management in many ways and change itself. Yeah, but it's the choices we make for that change.
0: That's really well said, because it is so important to, to, to also understand that you don't have to be at someone else's pace or someone else's path or at the stage stage of life. But I think just being aware that you are doing something because of a certain reason or a certain thing is, I think, in itself quite important. Right. And that leads me to asking you this uh, about this particular thing we call purpose because it's so easy uh, to... To kind of get carried away by the wrong idea right even in that space it's someone else's purpose you can start living when you're not aware uh and you hear this quite often nowadays people saying i'm pursuing my passion when it's sometimes just the cool thing to be said it's like that guy with board shorts and a formal shirt and by the mm-hmm. way that guy had his husky on a beach when it was 30 <laughs> degrees out there i'm like this guy's a moron dude and he's like no he likes it i've shaved his hair i'm like oh you're such a fool <laughs> you know? i mean i was totally judging him but i mean i'm not like um you know a dog, an expert in dog breeds but i just don't think a siberian husky should belong on the beach
1: um <laughs> not at that time of the weather as well sorry so that's torture
0: yeah it's to- yeah so um bosca let me ask you this this idea of you know living your life to a certain purpose um i wouldn't ask you how does one go about it because i feel that's too simple um or rather it's too i wouldn't say easy but what is what are some of the ingredients you know like when when you said you have a playbook for immigration right like when you go to a place you know the things you do to kind of fit in and kind of take in the culture more um seamlessly so maybe with in in that or uh, within that framework uh how does one or how did you recognize let's maybe start with you because um uh, yeah. it's something which you quite kind of shaped quite Uh, clearly, is how do you go about recognizing um, the thing that drives you and you eventually end up calling your purpose?
1: Look, it's interesting that you asked me this question, because, you know, I wrote it, I I did a TED Talk explaining about purpose and how do you find your purpose. And what's interesting is, you know, that TED Talk now has had over a million views. And I wish Mm. I could go back to the audience and say, actually i've got a new ingredient and a new way of finding your purpose because right, right. for me back then it was about connecting your passion with your origin story and finding out what your roots were mm-hmm. because typically your passion lives in those areas right. but as time has progressed what i've learned is, is we have different passions we have different origin stories we have different current stories we have different future stories yeah but purpose today is driven by the choices we make and it's less about finding your purpose. It's about choosing your purpose today. That's more important Mm -hmm. Uh, because of the way society is. And because of the ways things are, you know, I still get people that reach out to me, you know, every month asking for me to mentor them. You know, I've got 300 paying clients that work with me, you know, via Zoom to help Mm -hmm. me, you know, and I help them transform their businesses, work with them on their purpose, whether it's business or personal. I mentor people globally. And um, I can tell you that people make choices to live the way they want to live. So I get a lot of people that say, I feel stuck, or I've been doing the dead-end job that I've been doing for the longest period of time, and I'm not happy. I'm in a relationship, but I shouldn't be in this relationship, but I'm here because I've chosen to it. At the end of the day, you choose to be in that area. You choose to settle. You choose to be that way for whatever narrative that you tell yourself, good or bad. There's no right or wrong decision. It's the choices you make. What brought me to Australia was the choices that I made. Yeah. And, and you know, I think at the end of the day, everything else, the environment and all the other factors is what inspires you to live that choice or validate that choice. You know, I came to Australia, I worked for a few agencies, some of the agencies weren't the best cultures, and I tolerated a lot of things at the start of the, my my time here, and mm. put up with bad behavior and bad culture because I was going through an immigrant cycle. And I was like, Oh, I just need to get my immigrancy. And I'll put up with this stuff. Yeah, but then I was like, hang on a minute, you're telling people not to settle, you're teaching people not to settle. And now you're settling. So <laughs> yeah, I got yeah. away from that scenario. And I said, Hang on, okay, I need to call myself out on this. And I walked away from that scenario. And then I ended up working with other people that have been, you know, truly amazing in my life right now, where I work, how I work, the people I work with, they are people I trust, they're people that provide safety, they're people that encourage me to do the best version, live my best version career-wise and personally. And I realized I needed to go through those bad moments to get to where I am today. But Mm. it's those choices that I made that landed me here. You know what I mean? And I think there's no right or wrong decision. I think it's the choices that you make that you have to live with. If, you know, you're 57 years old and you recognize that you need to change your career, it's never too late. You know, I mean, there are people that go, I wish I was a chef. I wish I could go back to cooking because that's what I love doing. My question is, why are you not doing it? And if it's, if your excuse is, it doesn't pay enough, I'm too old or anything else, you've allowed the choice and a narrative to play to that particular entity. You said to yourself, I can't do it now because of this reason, you're justifying it. So finding your purpose is less about A formula. It's about really having an internal dialogue with yourself and choosing what you want to do. Because if you choose to put up with the same things and settle, then that's become your purpose. That's what Hmm. you have decided to do. And you have to be okay with it. If you want to be a podcast host and work four or five hours a day, validating it isn't someone else's purpose you it's your choice that you make and you know yeah. what if you're happy with it then that's no one can put a price tag on that you know yeah. Yeah. coming to australia has some amazing things that have happened but there's a lot of sacrifices that I've, I've had to make as well to be here but that's a choice that i consciously made so i think the framework really is yeah you can go down the right of fusing your passion and finding what your origin story is and you know identifying what are the things that define you? Absolutely. You know, for me, I, I had a really good support system. I had a mentor at a very young age that, you know, showed me how to empower people because he empowered me. And, yeah. and when he empowered me, I remember that feeling of feeling so powerful. And I yeah. remember going, I really love this. And when he said to me, this was his purpose to empower people. I was like, I really could relate to that, and that's how I picked my, and chose my career, right? Um, I my tagline today is empowering brands and empowering businesses and empowering people, um, and I try to work really hard to live people than I, leave people better than I found them. But that didn't come by me, you know, really having a playbook. That came from really me making a conscious choice. So I think if I had to now give that same TED talk. What I would say differently would be, what are the choices are you making? What are the choices that are you making today that can you live with those choices or are you gonna end up being 60, 71 day and regretting all the choices you made? Because really life is a series of choices.
0: Nice, really nicely said. I think that's such an important thing to recognize, right? Making peace with the choices you make, because sometimes you look at, say, a, a person in your field who's really successful, and you're envious, saying, "Why can't that be me?" But we forget to look at what choices or what that person has been through to get there. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people are like, "I want to be Elon Musk," but no one talks about the sacrifice. Like, even when you said uh, being a travel, uh, being a person who travels a lot, you don't talk about the. the the bad hotel food or like the travels or waking up at four in the morning being stressed you kind of just say oh I wish I could travel like him so those what you just said is so important to say you know what if you choose to do this then that set of choices or that choice will result in a certain outcome or a certain way of living and you have to have that conversation with yourself which is I think so important and sometimes and not sometimes more often than not goes Undiscussed with yourself, right? You just want the you want that big dream without the set of choices that determine that dream.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and look, you're you're going to make choices you regret. You're going to yeah. make choices that you might not be happy about. But that's okay, as long as you can live with yourself and say, "I'm okay with where I'm going and who I'm becoming and where I'm be- you know where I'm going." Then yeah. ultimately, that's what you're entitled to. And I think. I think that's the problem, right? Is that social media and technology has created these false personas mm. of what things should look like, you know, uh, because I see my favorite musician or because I see my favorite sports athlete or my favorite actor or my influencer, yeah. or because I watch, you know, 10 hours of bulldog and puppy videos on Instagram, mm. my life needs to be a certain way, but Most of the time, what you're seeing is five seconds, 30 seconds at the most in someone's life. You're not, you know, a great example is let's look at some of the people that have left us and let, let, you know, great example, Robin Williams. Yeah. One of the greatest comedians of all time, Mm -hmm. but he suffered with depression. He suffered with sadness. I live vicariously through one of my favorite journalists has been um, Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. I used to watch Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown when I was in Canada and and Mm -hmm. moving to Australia Um, I would watch his show where every every Sunday he would go to some other part of the world. He's been to Zanzibar, where I'm from. He's been to these amazing parts of the world. And I got to learn so much about culture and experiences through his moments. But someone who is as adventurous as him and someone who was well-loved and someone who was known globally... Was that one of the unhappiest men uh, that I that that lived, you know, in silence with yeah. this unhappiness? And whether it spiraled because he broke up with his partner or you know a relationship that really just changed him, whatever his motivations were, um, that was a very sad moment for me because I sat there and went, you know, oh my gosh, like someone who I loved and adored wasn't happy, and we didn't see it in society because we live, we choose we choose to live in silence. We choose to keep that unhappiness. We choose to settle. So I think if you ask me today that, you know, what, how do you define your purpose? It really comes down to what you decide to choose.
0: Nice. No, that's, I'm just letting that soak in because it's kind of just reflecting on what I've decided and chosen over the past three years. And sometimes it's about letting go of a certain way of doing things. And you know, I was so attached to the idea of being a comedian and the the identity that that gave me. Like, oh, you know what, I'm a comedian. And just the idea of that not being there in my life was terrifying, but you know, once you make yeah. the choice, that's the thing of setting it free, right? Because you are not bound anymore by that definition, yeah. that identity, that label, or that place where you feel that you belong, but you, you, you think, oh my God, if that's taken un- away from me, what am I? But you, very soon yeah. realize that you are a lot more when that's taken away from you
1: and you know what you're going to have moments where you're going to be tested you're going to be have moments where things are going to be taken away from you so I'll give you a great example yeah i'm a i'm a speaker right i'm an yeah. international speaker i've had the fortune of doing a tedx talk which if you've ever done a tedx talk back then it was like winning an oscar if you were an actor or speaker that's yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. your permission to travel around the world and get paid to speak and everything else yeah um and i was fortunate that i spoke on a topic even though i was a digital strategist and i did a lot of talks about digital marketing and strategy i did a talk that was a human talk about discovering your purpose and that created the spiral effect of traveling so in 2016 i got off stage you know, I put in probably, I want to say about 380 hours of preparation for 18 minutes, right? Yeah. So for 18 minutes on this red dot, I spent 380 hours, 22 scripts, 20 dress rehearsals, you know, and a whole lot of anxiety and stress yeah. to, to do this thing. And it changed my world. And I remember someone saying to me, my mentor saying to me, soak it all in, because when it's done and you get off stage, you're going to say to yourself, now What? It was funny because I got off stage and I was like, what do I do next? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I started speaking. You know, the the t- TED Talk took me around the world. I was being paid to speak and I was doing mm. about 30 events around the world. Mm. And then all of a sudden, COVID hit. Yeah. And the one thing that you validated that you could do around the world, your superpower, all of a sudden you couldn't do it anymore. You could do it through Zoom. And it wasn't the same experience because no. there wasn't a live crowd. It was very awkward doing those things. And I remember going, oh, my God, I don't know if I'll ever speak again. I don't know if I'll ever have the ability to speak again. And yeah. I sat there and I went, you know, that's the power of your superpower being taken away from you. And you have to reinvent yourself. Shit. Right. And that's what I had to do. I had to go, right. What do I do next? How do I reinvent myself? How do I still take my purpose and blend it and do something different? You know, that went into podcasting and digital webinars and presentations and, you know, changing the way I did things, but having some of those core, you know, identities. Um, And as time went along, I started to speak again and the stage opened up again. I just came back from a keynote on the Gold Coast. I just spoke in front of 1,800 people. And I realized that at the end of the day, you're going to be tested, your superpowers are going to be challenging, you're going to have to learn to be resilient. And you're going to have to learn to be patient. And you're going to have to learn to say, this isn't happening to me, it's happening for me and to accept it. And the minute you let go of that anxiety, and the minute you let go of that pain, and you say to yourself, whatever the universe is planned, this is what it's planned for, I just need to go with it the quicker you move on from things the quicker you adapt from things if i had to give my you know if i had to go back in time and give myself some advice i would say it's going to be okay it'll take you 3 hours 3 years to go back to canada it will take you 3 years to get back on stage it'll take you 3 years to you know to go back to the doing the things that you love but it will happen at some point i probably might have done things a bit differently right because mm. again hindsight is 2020 yeah so i think for me i think the challenge that we do is is we already have too many pressures from society. We already have too many pressures from our family and our upbringings and people around us. We need to be kind to ourselves and we need to go back and say, hey, it's going to be okay.
0: Nice. That's really, I think, important and really nicely said. And well, you know, Bosco, thank you so much for sharing everything you have. But I want to ask you one thing. You are a person who helps people create digital stories and tell stories about themselves. And before we uh, wind up today, I want to ask you... um, Maybe you want to go out on a limb here. Just talk about what Mr. Musk is up to with Twitter because I'm I'm fascinated. uh, But at the same time, I want to get someone who's quite immersed in this technology and the the platforms to tell me about. um, So is what he's doing a, uh, or rather the future of Twitter, is that something which is encouraging for people who um, use the platform? Or is it, according or is it like what maybe the media is portraying as a dick move by a really rich man
1: <laughs> yeah look I mean you can you can compare it with a bunch of things you know yeah. during the Trump era there was a moment in time where Trump was very vocal on tra- on Twitter and then yeah. he got you know he got kicked out yeah you think about the recent Kanye West you think yeah. about you know Elon Musk look at the end of the day the way I look at it is that platforms come and go Mm. Um, CEOs come and go. Companies get acquired and come and go. There's plenty of options for people to express their creative choices and freedoms, whatever his motivations are, whether it's disruptive, whether it's him trying to seek attention. You know, at the end of the day, storytelling is driven by emotion and sentiment. And as long as those human emotions still exist today... Whether it's on Twitter or some other place, whether it's Mastodon or, you know, all these other platforms that are emerging, you're still going to have people that chase that sentiment. I was re- recently watching a a documentary and it was called, I think it was uh, FIFA Uncovered. It was about the yeah. FIFA World Cup. So as we mm. all know, the FIFA World Cup's happening in Qatar. In, in Qatar. Yeah, yeah. And if you haven't watched this on Netflix, highly recommend you watch it. Four episodes. Mm. Um, I binged watched it in two days. Yeah, I'm a big soccer fan now. Okay. Right. like millions of people around the world. You know, there's four billion people that follow the sport. We first had soccer when we were kids. You played with your sandals. You couldn't afford the shoes. You played on the yeah. you know the, the dirty Bare ground. And, yeah, yeah. And that's how you grew up. So your parents watched it. Your grandpa watched it. Your grandma watched it. That was just way of life. Now, FIFA has gone through a lot of changes. There's been a lot of corruption. There's been a lot of issues with human slavery. You know, they're talking about the situation in Qatar, about where the workers came from in Nepal and how many people have died to to make this World Cup happen. They talk about, you know, all these different um, gentlemen's club that of people that were accepting bribes to decide where these, these World Cups would go through. It's a great documentary that gives you the evil side of FIFA. Yeah. Right? But here's the thing. At the end of the day, human beings, the fans of soccer, will still make a choice to watch soccer. There's billions of people that still make a choice to watch it despite the chaos, despite the corruption, despite the bad choices that other people make it. Because for us, it's not about the corruption. It's not about that. It's about following a sport that we grew up on. That's our created nostalgia that we are trying to preserve. Yes, we're not happy about it. Yes, we're not wanting to see that. Yes, we, you know, do not. Uh, condone human modern day slavery. Uh, and some people will boycott the the World Cup. And some people will say, we're still choosing to, to watch it or be a part of it, mm. because that's part of our childhood. And that's part of something that we still want to preserve, right, as a human yeah. society. At the end of the day, there's no right or wrong decisions. It's just choices we make. And mm. so The reason why I'm I'm using this as an example is you're going to have the nutcases in the world. You're going to have people that are the opinionated people. You are going to have people that are crying out for help that are not mentally well or emotionally well. And these things are just moments in time that shape our journey. And, you know, we navigate through that human collision. Um, I think at the end of the day, regardless of whether it happens in Twitter or Facebook, if it happens in Snapchat or TikTok, you know, every platform has its own issues. We have issues with privacy and advertising, but yet yeah. we're still on there. We have issues with, you know, our data being sold to other places, yet we're still on TikTok, you know. There's so many different things that make us concerned, yet we choose, keyword here, we choose yeah. to still be on there. And so I think at the end of the day, as long as you give humans the, the right to choose and the choices that they make, they're ultimately responsible for their own choices.
0: I want to ask you our last thing. Uh, maybe you can just comment briefly on this. I'm intrigued to know what the future is for these platforms like Clubhouse, Fireside and Wisdom, the audio-based platform, because I'm heavily uh, into listening to, you know, audiobooks and podcasts. But do these platforms even have a, you know, do they hold a flame to the likes of Instagram and Twitter, uh, these audio based interactive platforms?
1: Look, you're going to have an emergence of two types of platforms. You're going to have an emergence of platforms not for the masses. You're going to have mm-hmm. people that are going to be on platforms specifically for certain niches. You know, mm-hmm. you think about Clubhouse, it was endorsed by actors. In Hollywood and then it grew really quickly. Yeah. In some ways it's kind of maxed its peak. But yeah. the people that are on there are people that want to have conversations and are okay with listening to Audibles. You know, you're going to still have audible search engines and personalized search engines in the future. Yeah. You know, technology is going to change and you're going to have more and more emergence to those places. Um, you know, I think what's going to change is human behavior and how we consume stories and information and everything else. So there's going to be room for experiments. There's going to be room for for places to to exist and there's going to be places where things are going to change you know i was reading the facebook ad revenue and last quarter recorded the highest drop in history of ad revenue uh decreases because most people were just put off by those advertising opportunities right like most of the time when i see an ad i don't even pay attention to it i turn it off unless it's really something that i'm looking for and then i go hang on a minute is my phone listening into my conversations right So I think there's room for platforms. I think there's room for micro niches and masses. Um, but I think what's going to happen is, is human behavior is going to change. And I think the future of human behavior is going to have elements of trust and privacy and, you know, what what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate. We're already seeing this right now with advertising and cookies, you know, Apple yeah. iPhones, yeah. you know, all the new ads right now about privacy. If you don't want your tracking on an app, you can turn it off if you don't want to give your email to subscribe to things, you can turn it off. You know, most of us today are unsubscribing to email addresses more so than ever before. Yeah. So I think in many cases, trust has changed how we consume the news and the mediums that challenge it. And I think it's, it's going to be a big challenge for the Instagrams and the, Twitters and all these different platforms of today to keep up with the momentum of what privacy and trust means to consumers. Mm. but it also leaves room for people to come up with new innovation. you know if you think about the last recession in the US, Airbnb came out out, yeah. out of that. Uber yeah. came out of that. So usually when there's struggle and diversity and challenges and people have to be resilient, some of the world's best innovation comes out during those times.
0: Well, that's encouraging and we can hope for stuff that will bring us together and help us as a group of people going and trying to make sense of this. So I want to leave you
1: I want to leave you with a thought, though, right? I mean, for the critics out there, maybe this is something that is a good way to end this this segment and this this uh, interview. Do you remember the QR codes? And do you remember back in the day people slammed the QR codes and said this would never work, right? Meanwhile, in Japan, it was taken off. But in the US and in Canada, when the QR codes first came down, people were not big fans of it. I know this because I worked in that space. Yeah. Well, all it took was a global pandemic (laughs) for your grandma to start using the damn QR codes. Yeah. So at the end of the day, if you think about it, what's all sometimes becomes new again, and what gets criticized gets, you know, embraced. And so as as my grandma used to say, one man's meat is another man's poison, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Yeah. Um, I think the same can be said about platforms.
0: Fantastic. Bosco, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and also sharing your nuggets of wisdom and your story and your uh, life experiences. I really appreciate you being here.
1: Likewise, thank you for having me, and I look forward to seeing you again.
0: Thanks, Bosco. Take care. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode